At halftime of Carolina's Wednesday game against Northern Iowa, I received an onslaught of texts and DMs and other messages bemoaning Carolina's downfall, and it's all the same stuff. But good news, Coach Rob, you know this. That's why college basketball games have a second half and another 20 minutes to play. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what's up? It's Thursday, November 23rd, 2023. Happy Thanksgiving to you all out there. I'm coming to you from Amarillo, Texas today from my in-laws house. Great stuff. Coach Rob, it's great to be with you. I know your Milligan University Buffaloes are just coming off a win. You've literally come to record off of a team dinner on uh, Thanksgiving Eve. And folks, uh, if, if you've never tuned in with us before when Coach Rob is here, this is Coach Bill Robinson, the head coach of the Milligan University Buffalo men's basketball team. We get together every week and talk college basketball, uh, specifically the Tar Heels. So we do want to welcome you into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. And we want to thank you everydayers for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or watch to get your best Tar Heels content even on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, speaking of which, a quick note on tomorrow's show, Friday's show, we're not going to record it on Thursday following Carolina's game against Villanova. We're actually going to, I'm going to record on Friday after both the Villanova game and whoever Carolina plays for their third game. So uh, we'll have just one show to kind of wrap up Battle for Atlantis at the end of that. I just didn't want to record on Thanksgiving, want to be with family. You all understand that. Thanks for your grace with that. So coming up on the show Today, unfortunately, we're going to have to skip story time today, friends. I know you look forward to that when Coach Rob is on, but we'll push that back. Too much basketball to talk today. We're going to get ready for the Battle for Atlanta semifinal against Villanova and uh, definitely talk recapping the win over Northern Iowa. And we want to say here on this Thanksgiving Day, just a, such a huge word of thanks to all of you friends out there who tune in all the time joining us. Man, this it's just so fun to get to do. Coach Rob and I were just talking about that, in fact, before we came on. And so thank you for joining us, folks, all the time. All right, Coach Rob, Carolina gets a 91-69 uh, victory over Northern Iowa on Wednesday to kick off the battle for Atlantis. Uh, Carolina did not look like they would do this at the end of the first half. They were down six points. And then, oh, my word, what a response to start the second half. Um, and so coach, let's just look big picture at this second half. What, like, let, let's just go first off inside the Carolina locker room. If you are Hubert Davis, what on earth do you say to this team that to my eye had played with good defensive intensity, had done some things well, other things not so well in the first half, but just frankly, wasn't hitting shots. What would have been your message that brought them out to do the things that they did in the second half? Well, you got to read the room and kind of get a better idea of, of what type of players you have. Older guys, uh, the rah-rah yelling, get them, you know, trying to hype them up doesn't always work. Those guys have heard all those kind of speeches before. And like you just said, they got the shots they wanted. They just didn't make them and they were open. And uh, just to, to relax them, say, hey, just just go play. Go, go make plays. Get shots in rhythm. You know, keep getting your teammates open. Help make that extra pass. I don't think it had to be any type of yelling and screaming. I think it had to be just be confident, be solid, keep the intensity up, 
but we don't need to panic. They don't need to try to hit a grand slam with nobody on base. Just just be patient, run our stuff, do what we're doing, and sooner or later those shots are going to fall. And they fell quickly. They did fall quickly. And what what was so interesting to me, coaches? I mean, there was this run that built that lead out to like 67-47. And the majority of that was without Armando Baycott on the floor. Now, you talked a couple weeks ago about how you were hopeful and really wanted to see Carolina having a lot of offensive balance and that hopefully it wouldn't have to be so focused on Armando Baycott. He was the sixth leading scorer in this game. Coach, what, uh, you know, you as somebody who uh, watches Carolina, you as somebody who knows your own team yourself, what is it, what was it like for you to see that come to fruition in this game? Yeah, we, we need Armando. We need him every night. We need him big. And he's, he's the guy. It's, I Don't get me wrong there. We need him. But there are times when he's going to be in foul trouble. There's times he's going to be tired. There are going to be times where matchups, if the team goes small, and maybe it's just better for us to play a more athletic lineup. So uh, I was at Virginia Tech last year. He warmed up, didn't play. And it was almost like, oh, Armando's not playing. We have no chance to win. And that's exactly what happened. They lost. So to see some success with him off the floor, I think gives guys confidence that, hey, I can play too. I can make an impact. I can make shots. We can make plays even when he's not in the game. Um, and they were able to play quicker, faster, big flow, nobody in the middle. And they were able to, to get some some looks on the perimeter. And it almost seemed like uh, – and, and maybe even Northern uh, Iowa, just maybe they let down a little bit. Armando's not in the game, so maybe we can relax a little bit. Uh, they got to remember there's still a fifth guy on the floor. It's not like they're playing five on four. You know? So there's still somebody that they can play. Um, but I love to see the flow. I love to see the extra passing. and. And uh, they're going to have to play sometimes. And, and to see them succeed without Armando, I thought was a huge, huge plus. Yeah. I mean, and you referenced that Virginia Tech game. That was the fourth loss of that four game losing streak that started at PK 85 last year. And this is one of the things I had talked about on the show earlier this week is that while Carolina beat Portland in the first game of that tournament last year, it it wasn't a convincing win by any stretch of the imagination. If I remember correctly, just an eight-point victory. And I had talked about how that the change in that for this year's multi-team event started with doing something better against Northern Iowa. And coach, for the first half, I was like, hey, boy, I'm going to have to go on this show tomorrow and tell all our good people who I've been saying this is going to be a fork in the road, this is going to be different, that it wasn't because the first half was all of that. But then, my goodness, the second half, they came out and just opened up a torrential downpour. Um, and, and a lot of it was finally making those open shots that you talked about that, that didn't happen in the first half. Um, and I, I just loved seeing that continued commitment to it. And it did feel like with Armando out. I, I agree with you that there was a lot better movement. Now, Coach, here's the interesting thing for me. Like, Go with me on this thought process. If we flipped these two halves around and it was the first half that had been the, the torrential blitz that Carolina had in the second half, and it's the second half that had been where Carolina was outscored by six. I think we see those games a lot of times and think we don't think much of that second half. It's like, oh, they just, you know, whatever, because they were up so big. But when it's flipped like it was on Wednesday, everyone gets so all bent out of shape because it's like, oh, goodness, the sky's falling. What are we going to do? Coach, what, what do you say to your players when that's happening? And what would you say to fans to say, hey, guys, patience, there's 20 more minutes in this thing? Yeah, very similar to the UCLA-Shamanov game the other night. UCLA Ooh, gets yeah. up 24, 
you know, and they're like, oh, of course that's going to happen. UCLA is very dominant. And then Chaminade basically leads for the next, what, 15 minutes. I mean, they, they played better than UCLA for a long portion of time. Um, you want guys to, to, to be able to set the tone right away, right off the opening tip and be able to, to, to make a run, especially a team that you know you're better than. Um, you have to understand that those runs are going to happen. And you want to stay the course. You don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too low. I thought the defensive intensity, even though we were down at halftime, defensive intensity in the first half was pretty good. You know, I we thought got so a too. We did some really good things. I would just like to see that intensity stay up. Instead of those high, low, high, low, we just—it's got to be at a more consistent level, uh, especially the defensive end. Because shots are going to fall, shots are not going to—you can always keep that defensive level high. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And and a lot of that, and we'll get to this more in a minute. Uh, I thought came out of inserting Seth Trimble into the starting lineup on Wednesday. I think that helped that defensive intensity. Coach, um, one thing you and I were talking a little bit before we started, and you had mentioned to me something about the matchups of Battle for Atlantis and who the tournament organizers actually wanted the Tar Heels to play. And I just think this is such a cool story about Coach Davis and who he is. Would you share that with us? Yeah, I had uh, heard from one of my sources that uh, they had actually asked Carolina to play Stanford. And, uh, of course, with Coach Haas being a former, uh, you know, the head coach of Stanford, being a former Carolina uh, assistant coach and, and being real close to part of the family, and then you got Cormac Ryan, who transferred originally from Stanford to Notre Dame to, to Carolina. And then, of course, Harris Ingram. And uh, Hubert just didn't want to do that. He just he thought that it was um, playing against family is one thing. If you have to, if it's in conference or you get matched up in a tournament and you have to do it. But if it's a situation where you don't have to play family, uh, he just basically said he would rather not. So they were able to, to rework the schedule so they didn't have to start you know initially play Stanford now if they meet later in the tournament so be it but uh he just didn't want them to be matched up first round and I, I respect him for that I think it's awesome and I know I know the guys at Stanford appreciate that too man thank you coach I just you you were telling me that I'm like man I would just want to give people a little peek behind the curtain on that one because that's just such a good anecdote about the camaraderie and the family nature of what goes on behind the scenes speaking of which Carolina legitimately has a shot to maybe play Stanford down the road because right now the Cardinal are up 40 to 36 on Arkansas early in the second half. Obviously, by the time you're listening to or watching this, you know what the result is, but uh, good for the Cardinal, man, because a lot of people I think thought Arkansas would run away with that thing. So uh, maybe we can keep you updated throughout the show. Now, we've talked about this second half run. That's the big picture takeaway, but what all contributed to that at the nitty gritty level? Uh, you know we're about to talk about that with the Four Corners recap and the shady stat of the game. We'll give you that. Some ideas from both of us here coming up in just a second. All right, Coach Rob, we're here. It's Thanksgiving Day. Uh, as this is airing on YouTube and, and folks are downloading it to their audio, I'm probably watching the, the parade with my family, maybe sipping on some coffee. Uh, hope Folks, hope you're having a great Thanksgiving Day as well. So uh, here's what we're going to do is we're going to get into our four corners recap where we kind of honor Coach Smith's uh, famed offensive scheme and uh, give you four takeaways specifically from this game. So uh, two each from Coach and I. So Coach, why don't you take the floor first and give us your first of the four corners recap? My first big one is what everybody's been clamoring for for, for two years now, and that's uh, nine guys play 12 minutes or more. And to see Seth Trimble start and to see Jalen Withers get the start in the second half and 
and seeing the depth. And people questioned the uh, exhibition game. He started subbing people right away. And then first, oh, we're just, you know, that's just something for an exhibition. But to see this many minutes from these many guys, I think is very encouraging. Um, and I think he feels real. And he's still trying to get what that, you know, rotation is going to be over, you know, when it gets to, to, to conference play, obviously. But I think he's got nine guys that he will play in conference games. He feels confident with those nine. And even sneak into 10 and 11 in, uh, in some of those cases. But that was a huge stat for me to see 12 minutes from nine different guys. Here, here's an interesting question coming off of that uh, that I, I just thought about here in the moment is of the group that started the first half or the group that started the second half, which one do you think we're more likely to see on a consistent basis? Me personally, I like the second half one better. I like uh, it's a bigger lineup, it's a more athletic lineup. Seth Trimble brings energy. Jalen Withers brings energy, but they're different. You know, one's a perimeter type, one's more of a of that wing. Uh, even a big wing can even be a little bit in that forward area. But I love Jalen Withers. I think the energy he brings, he did knock down a three. Um, just he can guard anybody. Uh, he can guard the littles. He can sit down and guard and he has the length, but yet he can give fits to the bigs too. And I just love, you know, multifaceted defenders are just, uh, I mean, Le- he's Leaky Black, very much like him, but. Um, I, I wouldn't say he's there. I mean, they're not the same, obviously, but very similar in my mind from a coach's perspective, because and you can switch screens, you can switch ball screens. You can do so much with with Withers defensively and knowing that he can he, he made a nice post move, too. So for him to be able to play inside out at both ends is very valuable. Yes. Uh, Louisville having to play him at 87 different positions is our gain at North Carolina, where he now has all those varied skill sets. So uh, thank you, Cardinals. We salute you. Um, coach, I'll go with my first, uh, of, or the second of the four corners recap, which kind of comes off of that. And that is Carolina's offensive balance. You know, each game so far prior to this one, someone had scored at least 20 points, not so in this game, but that's because six different guys were in double figures all between 10 and 16. We already said Armando had 10. He was the sixth leading scorer. Jalen Withers had 11. You just talked about him. RJ at 13. Cormac Ryan and Elliot Cadeau both at 15. And then Harrison Ingram led the way in this one with 16. So again, we harp on love that while Armando is obviously critically important to this team, um, he doesn't have to be the guy game in and game out. What's that going to do? It's going to force opponents to scheme more than just him and RJ. You got to get a game plan for everybody. And that's when Carolina has historically been at its best. You'll love to see that in this game as well. Coach, give us the third of the four corners recap. Next one for me was free throw shooting. Um, you know, just to make free throws. And um, if you notice, when we started hitting some threes in the second half, it did open up the post and they didn't double. And we were able to get some good looks inside. We were able to get to the free throw line. And if they're consistent, I think we were over 80% today, Carolina was. And 87. Yep. 87%. And that's. Um, I mean, that's such a luxury to know that you're going to go knock down two at the line. Um, it's as a coach, just the confidence of knowing you're going to get two points every time you go there instead of, I hope we only, you know, hope we make one out of two. And I've been there. I've been on both sides of that. And, um, you know, 87% in a game, you just know, um, boy, that's such a huge weapon, uh, just to, to know people are going to knock them down. Especially as Mondo continues to do it. He was four of five today. Here's everything you need to know about how Armando's shooting from the free throw line. He went four of five, 80%, and that brought his uh, free throw average down for the year so far. And that is a good 
things. And you mentioned those double teams. We hadn't talked about that. When they were doubling, I thought it was really interesting to see them come baseline help side on on those doubles rather than bringing it down from like the wing or something. That's just a, that was a thought, an interesting wrinkle in what they were doing with that. Um, coach, I'll go to the fourth of the four corners recap, and then we'll see if there's anything else before the shady stat of the game. And that was um, multiple times this season. I've been saying I need to see Carolina led by a non-Armando, non-RJ player. I thought we saw some of that against UC Riverside on Friday evening, um, but it was just more like everyone was contributing. This time out, Harrison Ingram led the team in both points and rebounds and was right there with assists. 16 points on 5 of 12 from the floor, 4 of 6 from 3, and 2 of 2 from the free throw line, to your good point, had 10 boards, an almost dead even split, four offensive, six defensive. You love that. Three assists, a steal, and just one turnover. I'm telling you, I've said it and I'll say it again. He has the potential to notch just the third ever triple-double in Carolina history. I'm not betting it's going to happen, but it would not shock me in any way to see that. Um, let me just throw in one other, yay, I'm so happy about that, is to see Cormac Ryan get untracked a little bit from the three-point line. That barrage he had to start the second half, and including that one that was like wildly deep, uh, that's just an encouraging sign, and hopefully not a streaky sign. Hopefully Carolina can do more of what we saw in the second half. Coach, I know you had one more. I know we got a four corners, but I know you had one other thing you wanted to mention uh, in terms of our four corners recap here. Yeah, the big stat is not really a stat, is tempo. And to see them pick up full court, to see them trap a little bit, those are the things we've I've wanted um, to, to give multiple looks so you're not doing the same thing all the time. I love multiple defenses, but to see them pick up and then to play the pace we wanted to and only have nine turnovers. You know, so yes. there's the stat that I really thought – and turnovers to play fast to play the tempo we want to score in the 90s and only have nine turnovers that's huge and i think those are the type of numbers that we really look for to the future and meanwhile uh you and i had 17 turnovers not you and i but university of northern iowa had 17 turnovers that's funny i've never thought about that before um and i think they had, carolina had forced 18 against uc riverside so seeing some good stuff there um, on kind of like a Marquette level of getting some deflections and, and doing those kind of things. Um, my shady stat of the game from, <clears throat> excuse me, from Wednesday is this. Carolina, in their first three games of the season, against Radford, seven made three-pointers. Against Lehigh, five made three-pointers. And against UC Riverside, six made three-pointers. Coach? In the first seven minutes and 45 seconds of the second half, seven minutes and 45 seconds of gameplay, they made eight. In that short span, they made more than any of the entire previous three games. Like stuff like that when, when you just get going is bonkers. And again, like I said, hopefully that is not just some streak that happened one Wednesday afternoon in Honolulu, Hawaii, but is um, a portent of things to come. And we expect it to, right? We expect this three-point shooting, uh, the three-point shooting from this team to be infinitely improved from where it was last year. We haven't really seen that so far. Hopefully this and the 46.2% the Tar Heels shot from the, for the game is a sign of better days ahead. Anything else you want to hit on briefly before we turn our attention to today's matchup against Villanova and a revenge-minded Tar Heels team? I just love the fact that three guys make three more, three or more threes. 
it's, it's, it's really hard. It's okay. It's one thing to have 10 made and maybe somebody's got six and everybody else maybe has one but to have three guys with three or more. And one of them is not named Elliot Cadeau and one of them's not Paxson Wojcik. And, but we know both of those guys can shoot it too. It, to me, that's a huge sign for big things to happen. And I, I think Armando's licking his lips when he sees that knowing, Hey, they've got to go guard those guys. Now I'm going to get my look inside. I'll, I'll be able to go one-on-one instead of one-on-two every time I touch it. So huge stat for me. That's a good word. And to your point, it's the exact guys like literally yesterday on the show, I had said, I have to have it from Cormac Ryan and I have to have it from RJ Davis. And that's exactly two of those three guys who you're talking about right there. I'm right with you. Love to see it. Now, what's funny is Carolina actually got some 2015-16 revenge on Northern Iowa. That was their first loss of the season that year uh, with Marcus Page sitting on the bench with an injury. But now it's time today for the biggest possible 2015-16 revenge as the Heels face Villanova in the Battle for Atlanta semifinals later on today. What do the Wildcats have in store for the Tar Heels? Uh, We're going to talk about that in just a second. All right, folks, we are back on Thanksgiving Day. Again, hopefully you're enjoying your Thanksgiving, getting some good family time. I am ready for pecan pie. It's not pecan, folks. It's pecan. Get it right. Don't screw that up. Um, Coach, uh, you know, sad we're not having story time today, but I guess it's a good thing because it means there's a lot of good basketball to get to talk on. Looking forward to getting back to our stories in future weeks. But with revenge on the brain, Let's talk about Villanova. Folks, I'm going to tell you just a few preparatory things, and then I'll pass it to Coach, and and we can talk more about the Wildcats. Um, This game's at 2.30 Eastern on ESPN. There's no FanDuel line yet, but Ken Palm has it Carolina by one point. Wild stuff against the Wildcats. Series record. Carolina leads the all-time record 11-5, including three of the last four, but let's just not talk about what the most recent result was in this series. Keep in mind, just like Coach Williams stepping away, Jay Wright is also gone. He is no longer the coach of Villanova, if you weren't aware. This is the second year of Kyle Neptune as the head coach. It's kind of this weirdly interesting, similar trajectory to Carolina right now. The Villanova was 17-17 last year, so this is a matchup of two really new coaches, both of whom's teams had less than ideal years compared to what they're expecting last year. So this is an important matchup to see what both Carolina and Villanova are ready to do as they turn the corner to this season. Right now, as of this recording, Villanova is 20 at Ken Palm. Carolina is 15, so very close in those rankings. They were picked fourth in the Big East preseason poll behind Marquette, Creighton, and UConn, all of whom are rolling right now, by the way. Results thus far, Villanova is 4-1. and one. The one loss is at Penn. It was not a good look. They should not have lost that game. Their first two wins were over American. They're not great. LeMoyne, who is the newest member of Division I. But then their most recent games, they beat Maryland at home pretty soundly. Maryland's not great, but still, it's a high major team. And then they spanked Texas Tech in the Battle for Atlantis on Wednesday. As for players to watch... Justin Moore is the the name and the dude to know, you know, multiple preseason All-American honors. Uh, You might remember he was injured in the Elite Eight right before the Final Four that Carolina and Duke and Kansas and Villanova were all in a couple years ago. Kind of worked his way back last year, um, but is really back and going this year. It's great to see him healthy. We never want to see these dudes banged up. He's averaging 16 a game, had 18 on Wednesday. The other four starters, uh, the other guys in the backcourt with Justin Moore are TJ Bamba and Mark Art, 
uh, Armstrong, excuse me, and then Eric Dixon and Tyler Burton in the front court. Dixon was the leading scorer against Texas Tech with 19. Coach, I know you know you you've got some sources, boots on the ground there in Atlantis. What what's some of what you heard about Villanova's performance on Wednesday? Yeah, first of all, uh, I've known Jay Wright for a long time. He's actually retired in my hometown. And uh, I, I text him every once in a while. And when I'm in town, I'll text him and say, hey, we have a favorite t- pizza place we both like to go to. So I'll take a picture of the pizza and then send it to him, tell him I'm in town. But um, it's not hard for me to root against him now, that or Villanova now, that he's gone. But, uh, yeah, I got a former assistant who's who's there. And he's watching the game today. And he said, you know, Texas Tech is wildly talented and, and athletic, but Villanova is just solid. It's who they are. It's the identity that Jay Wright built there. Um, they're going to play great defense. They're going to be physical. They're going to take care of the basketball. They're going to create great shots for each other. They're not going to turn it over. They're going to play the pace that they want to play. And as long as you play their pace, they're really good. So, in my again, I love creating tempo, being able to control tempo. I would love to see Carolina play at faster tempo and try to get them out of that, walking the ball up the, you know, the floor and trying to control. Uh, but the Dixon-Baycott matchup to me, is going to be a lot of fun. There's two big dudes who both love just to, to, to bang inside and both are very talented. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to, to yes. you know, for that. And and I'm really excited about that matchup because I almost liken it to like Miami's Norchad O'Meara, where you look at the heights of their starting lineup and it's like, oh, Armando's going to walk all over this dude. But folks, Eric Dixon is 6'8", sure. He's 260 pounds. He's going to be able to move his way around the interior of that post. Do not be worried about that. So uh, don't don't look at those heights and be like, oh, Carolina's got this. Also because these guards for Villanova are really big as well. So, um, and none of the subs really, you know, there's nobody else that's going to bring in a ton of height either. So can Carolina exploit some of that, particularly when Dixon is on the bench? We'll have to wait and see. Um, but yes, man, that matchup. And then, Coach, to your point about pacing, uh, I was just looking at some of those numbers, actually just before you and I hopped on. In terms of adjusted tempo, Villanova right now is 313th in the nation. Uh, for those who who need the context of it, there are 362 total teams in Division One. Carolina, meanwhile, is 48. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a truth of basketball that it's much easier to slow a team down than speed them up. So it's going like, think about Carolina playing Virginia. You cannot get the Cavs into a track meet, but it's very easy for the Cavs to slow Carolina down. So coach, if you are coach Davis, what are you telling the team tonight and tomorrow about how to handle that snail's pace? Yeah, I think we, we want to get it play faster, but we, against the old, John Wood, and we want, you know, play fast, but don't hurry. We want to try to mm. speed them up, but still got to take care of the basketball. We got to make sure we don't, we don't make bad shots just to play faster. But I do think it's, it's, we want to maybe take quicker shots where we have opportunity to great, get great offensive rebounding positioning. And I'd love to see them again, pick up full court, maybe trap a little bit in the backcourt, trap a little bit about half court, just to be able to get them out of their stuff. Cause when they're comfortable, when they're in rhythm, boy, they're really hard to defend. Yeah. And and you talked about that defense too. I was looking back at all their scores earlier today. Villanova hasn't allowed more than 76 points to any opponent. And you look at that and it's like, oh man. And and obviously that's that's not pace adjusted. That's just pure and simple points. But folks, here's the deal. Carolina hasn't allowed 70, more than 70 to any opponent. So Carolina's actually done better. Like we we often think about 
with Carolina that it's the offense that clicks and not the defense. Carolina's offense right now is 15th in the nation per Ken Palm, but 23rd defensively. And that defense is actually better than Villanova's. The offenses are commensurate. Carolina is 15, Villanova's 14, but Villanova's defense is 45th to Carolina's 23rd. So still very close, but Carolina's defense uh, has been good and strong and solid thus far. So coach, here's my ultimate question. The, the rebounding is still a little bit up in the air. Got, got to do that against, you know, again, a team that has a little bit less height in the front court, but still battles and claws. Are we going to see the Carolina team from the first half of Northern Iowa or the team from the second half of Northern Iowa? I mean, all these percentages, it's just a clear mar demarcation line. What do you expect to see today as the Tar Heels take the floor? I honestly see something right in the middle. I don't see mm. us going out there and having a slow start. We won't be able to survive a slow start tomorrow. Um, no. Villanova, if you get behind 10 to 2 to Villanova, that, that's almost like being down 20 to you know to 2 because they, they have that opportunity just to kind of slow things down, control it. You're not going to make big runs against them. So I imagine the game's going to be a lot closer. I think it'll be in the 60s, maybe low 70s type game. Um, I think if the game gets to the 80s, Carolina wins pretty easily. If the game's in the 50s and 60s, I think probably Villanova wins. But if it gets into that, you know, high 60s, low 70s, mid 70s, I think it's going to be a, a, you know, a barn burner fight to the end. Okay. And that's exactly what I expect from this game. Um, it's nice because both teams played a lot of depth on Wednesday. N neither team had anyone play more than 31 minutes. And so, you know, it's like, the entire bullpen is available, right? Like as, as you think about it in pitching terms. And so as you said there, coach, I think this should just be an electric game. Uh, and, and one of the, I, I know there's a lot of great non-conference games coming up for Carolina, but I'm very much looking forward to this one. I think we're going to learn a lot, a lot about the Tar Heels on today, later on. And hopefully we have a lot to be thankful for with that. And so uh, coach, Great to be together. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Cannot wait to be back together next weekend. And I uh, hope you and the Buffaloes have a great tournament this coming up weekend uh, as you are playing some games. Friends, again, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. As a reminder, Friday show will be up later in the day on Friday. I'll publish it immediately after we record, but it'll be like Friday evening. So just uh, be on the lookout for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Come join our Discord. We're having great conversation all the time in there. The link to it is in the show notes. We'd love to have you as part of that growing community that's kind of part of this Locked on Tar Heels family. Email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. If you would, subscribe to the show on video and audio formats. If you're watching, smash the like button, and we'd love to hear your comments on both of these games. Man, it's going to be epic today against Villanova. It's always a great day to be a Tar Heel, particularly on Thanksgiving. We'll talk again on Friday, but until then, peace.